Master Scott and I, a few weeks ago, we, we started talking about just how we both felt that in 2021, we were receiving this new wind, this fresh wind. And so you guys, most of you have been with us for a long enough time, where today, for those of you who don't know, we're celebrating three years at the gathering, exactly today. And so I know, for those of you watching online still, we wish you were here, but would you also clap your hands at home? And if you are away all together today and you watch this during the week, we miss you, but we join in celebration with you. So today is three days, July 11th, 2018, 11th, right? July 11th, 2018, we opened up the doors to the office in the back, not knowing what to expect, although we had been inviting people for weeks and months in advance with Diorca and I just being like, hey, God, we know that you're putting something in our hands and giving us a vision for something, but we don't know what you're trying to do with this. And so out of full faith, we open up the doors. We open up the back door because the lobby seemed too legit. So we opened up the back door and we opened up the door to the office and just cleaned up, ran some vacuums. Of course, we had food. If you know us, we always have food present. Or maybe you forgot because of COVID. But pre-COVID, we always had food at our meetings. And little by little, people started walking in that day. And we ended the night with 16 people sitting around a coffee table talking about the hope of Jesus. If you know anything about church planting, you know that that's not usual. And so here we are, fast forward. We may not see hundreds of people, but the Lord's work has been done. And I would be ungrateful if I said that I had not seen his hand move over these last three years. People have come, people have gone, but we've also seen people go on to doing what God called them to do. Which is the point. The point is not just for us to see growth for ourselves, but to see fruit in the kingdom. That's much greater. And for those of you who know, shortly we'll be sending somebody to do missional work in Indonesia. If you haven't participated in that by donating to the GoFundMe that Gabby has, I encourage you to do so. If it's $5 that you want to submit, do so, but partner with Gabby. She's going into the jungles. In order for her to get to this area of Indonesia where they're going, can't mention the name, not only because I don't remember, but because it's that sensitive. It's a high Muslim area of Indonesia, and so you can't even mention where she's going. I got that covered. But she, in order to get there, has to take this single propeller little plane and then almost an entire day in a canoe just to get to this village. So in our American cushiness, if we'll do her the honor of donating to the cause so that we can get her over there. Right now, she's not with us because she is headed to North Carolina to do her training. Um, she is a nurse, and so she'll be also helping with some medical stuff in Indonesia. That's exciting. That's exciting. That's exciting that this church also would be able to participate in something like that. Today, I want to start a new series inspired by our conversations with Pastor Scott, and this series is called AKA also known as. And we're going to be talking about some name changes that happen in Scripture today. I want us to begin speaking about Abraham. What is in a name? Think about your name. 
when you're a parent, for those of you who aren't parents yet, when you're a parent, one of the more difficult decisions you're making is what to name your child. Like, you're thinking about everything. And I feel like in 2020 and 2021, people are naming their kids like crazy things, like coronavirus or COVID. And like, I've seen that it's happened. Or Kobe or Bryant. So we have the freedom to do so now, but... There's so much that is carried in a name. It's legacy, it's history, it's destiny, it's future. It's a, his, it's a story of your family. So how important is it when your parents finally make the decision to name you, in my case, Isaac Xavier? Or when Diorca was pregnant with Allie, she's like, I really like my mom's name is Alicia. Or Alicia, let me say it right. Alicia, and then my mother's name is Daisy Liliana. So she's like, Aliana. And I said, I don't love it. <laughs> but I did like Ali. So I'm like, you can have Aliana for the government forms, and I'll keep Ali. So it worked out, because marriage is compromise, for those of you who are dating. Guys, you will lose most of them. Amen. Take it ish. <laughs> but there's so much in our name. When we got married, I remember it took the Yorko one year to change her last name. Because, oh no, I just, I don't have the time. I, I just, it's, it's too much work. I'm really busy. Long story short, we went to the social security and she did it in like 20 minutes. After a year of her trying to keep her name, but meanwhile, in my ego, I'm like, wait, you're my wife. Like, you belong to me. You know, like, and so Diorca is like, I am my own person. Thank you. But it demonstrated to me how much weight is carried in a name. And so when you look into scripture and you see that God confronts these people and when he meets them, he says, I can see beyond your own legacy. I can see beyond the things that you have accomplished. Let's go into the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 17, verse 1 through 8. I'm excited today. So if I get caught up on some random points, will you forgive me? I promise I'll move. And I'll put it up behind me so we can get reading. It's Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, and it says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. If you have a pen, will you underline that? I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I might make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. And God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you, and I will give to you 
and to your offspring after you, the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Today we're talking about Abraham, founding father of the covenant. And you might know Abraham, the story of Abraham. He had a son, best name in the world, Isaac, and his wife, Sarai. And if you don't know it, we're going to kind of touch on what their story was. But this is an amazing story of faith. Today's message is called, For Faith's Sake. So right in the beginning, in the 17th chapter of Scripture, of the Bible, we see that God is going to this man and promising him multitudes, that nations will come from him, that kings will come from him, that the changer of the world would come from him. But you know what was funny about this? That Abraham and Sarah were 99, Abraham was 99, Sarai was 90, and they had no kids. So you're going to be a father. I'm making a covenant with you to bring nations out of you, multitudes out of you. I'm 99 years old. You're telling me I'm going to have multitudes of children, but I have not one. In the 15th chapter of Genesis, and you can go back to this later or you can go to it now quickly. God makes a covenant with Abram and tells him in verse 1, he says, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. If you went back to 15 verse 1, underline, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Abram doesn't know what to do with that information because Abram has no heirs. Lord, why are you going to bless me with all of these things if I have no one to give it to? I have no son. But obviously we know that God and being the Almighty or in verse uh, in chapter 17, where he says, I am El Shaddai, which means God Almighty, he knows what? He knows things that Abram doesn't yet know. So let me scoop something into your bowl. God knows things about you that you do not yet know. When somebody approaches you and approaches you with this hope of Jesus Christ, that doesn't make sense to you because perhaps... You have had somebody come to you and give you a dose of hope in Jesus. But somehow you're stuck on how bad you've been and all of the wrong things you've done. And why, if my family never expected me to do something great, would God himself expect me to do something great? Because he alone is the one who is able to change your name. He knows things about you that you do not know. Do you deserve the goodness that God has to give you? No, you don't. Let's settle that right now. Did Abram deserve the goodness that God was about to bring him in overflowing his cup? Probably not. But it wasn't about him. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about what God intends to do with our lives. Somehow, he sees us worth it for him. He sends his son to die because we're worth it to him. And so he's making these promises to Abram. And Abram, like you and I would be like, like, what? like why? I've been this. I've been that. Why would you give me so much? And why would you give me so much knowing that I have nobody to give it to? But he's giving him all of this because he knows what the end goal is. 
after between 15 and 17, the 15th and 17th chapter of Genesis, we see that um, Abram and Sarai take it under their own um, hands and strength to make God's covenant come to life. And how do they do that? Well, Sarai can't have children. Abraham, Abram doesn't have children. So that means that we need to figure out a way to get Abram a son. So what do they do? They go to the maiden of Sarai. And Abraham, so reluctantly, joins with a woman that's not his wife. And she gets pregnant. Have you ever tried in your own strength to speed up what God has for you? Or when he's called you into something, have you tried to maneuver it yourself by injecting yourself into what he's trying to do? What God was calling Abram into would require what? It would require tremendous faith. Can you imagine 99? If he told me that today, I would be like, ah, another kid? Can you imagine 99? Different times. They ate differently too. In Genesis chapter, uh, chapter 15, where we were just reading, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And then, once again, we see Genesis 17, verse 1. I am El Shaddai. I am your shield, he says in chapter 15. I am El Shaddai, meaning what? God Almighty. So this is important. The God Almighty was making a covenant with a doubting man. Abram doubted God so much that he attempted, like we said in between 15 and 17, to take matters into his own hands. So now God knew that Abram would doubt and what he was about to tell him. So as a preface, he reminded Abraham twice of what? I am God Almighty. So before you doubt me, I want to remind you that what I'm about to promise you is being promised to you by the creator of the world. If God comes to you today, friends, and tells you, I am going to make you into a world-changing minister of the gospel while you're sitting at home playing video games, what would you say? Why would you consider me, Lord? Like, who am I? And I say this to you freely because that was me. And I'm sure that was Pastor Scott. And many of you who have said yes to the ministry or have said yes to, at the very minimum, becoming believers and followers of Jesus Christ. Why would you choose me? I've done the worst things. But you know who was like that also? And I don't want to get ahead of myself because that's week three. Paul. Pastor Scott shared that this morning. Of whom... I am the worst. He knew he was the chief sinner. That's, can you imagine saying that? That God would choose me knowing that I'm the worst person that I know. And you've heard me say this before. Think about everybody that you know. Are you not, perhaps in quiet places and in dark places, one of the worst people you know? Or have done some of the worst things that you can imagine? Because the truth is, and I'm not talking about murder and stuff like that. Ease up a bit. What I'm talking about is, I'm talking about against the righteousness of God, the things that we've thought, the things that we've said, the things that we've intended. We don't think about that often. 
But if we see here in verse, in chapter 17, he's inviting Abraham to do what? To walk with him and be blameless, which leads me to the second portion, blameless. What does that mean? It, we're tempted to think that being blame, blameless is for us under our own strength to be without fault. Anybody? Right? Because if you read this out of the spirit, that's what you're reading. Abraham, I need you to walk with me and never do anything wrong again. If that were the case, and if God knew that we as men and women could fill that order, would he have needed to give us Jesus Christ? No. This blameless is followed by what? Walk with me. It doesn't stand alone. Turn with me, if you can, to Psalm 37, 4. We're not made blameless because of the things that we do, but because of our identity. Because of our identity. The more we know God and recognize Him as sovereign over our lives, the more blameless we are. So in Psalm 37, verse 4, it says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Can we backtrack? Can we backtrack? That other verse that we just read, and I think I just went over it. Let me look back one second. And this is verse 8, 17, I'm sorry, 17 verse 1, the last portion. Walk before me and be blameless. And then Psalm 37 Verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. If we put this together, what does that mean? The things that make us evil and unrighteous are the unrighteous things that we desire in our hearts. But what is being promised to us here by the psalmist? That if we delight ourselves, that we would walk with God, that we would remain and dwell with God, that he does what? He inspires even the things that we desire. How many of us desire the wrong things? When you're in your flesh, do you desire to do the wrong thing? When somebody crosses you in your car, cuts you off, what do you desire to do? It's not to wave hello. I had a moment of that this morning. I was hoping one of the girls in the car would call. This guy came out of nowhere and cut me off. And I had, the Holy Spirit was working. But in our flesh, we, it's like nobody needs to teach us to desire the wrong things. So what this is telling us is the hope that if you would remain in God, he can direct the desires of your heart. This is huge. If we remain with him and we desire to be blameless by remaining and walking with him, beside him, before him, he can change the desires of your heart. God then changes Abram's name. Even though Abram had attempted to adjust God's plan and in a way was disobedient and unbelieving, God's plan was greater than Abram's disbelief. Friends, his plan is greater than your doubt. Oh, well, I don't know how that's going to work. Oh, but I I think I could do it. But his plan is greater than your doubt. He went from being on his own to belonging to God. 
When you and I come to Christ, our identity changes. We go from belonging to darkness to belonging to the Almighty, to El Shaddai. If you'll turn with me to Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, it says this. It says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone, this is key, with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Friends, in heaven, God will change our name. So as much as I struggled with Ali's name in the beginning, and when we came up with Ava Michaela, in heaven, God changes our name. Because ownership is now fully his. That's hopeful. So I don't care what your name is right now. It may not be the same in heaven. Get over it if you love your name. Some of us don't. I mean, I do. I mean, if, if you don't love your name. Abram is now Abraham, which means what? Father of the multitude. Check this out, though. Genesis 17. Verse 7 and 8, it says, And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And now let's go fast forward quickly to the New Testament. Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. I know I'm giving you a lot of scripture here, but I'm trying to prove a point. Galatians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Now the promises were made to Abraham, right? This is what shows us the infallible truth of scripture. We are now in Galatians, a long time after Abraham. And he's making reference to Abraham. He says, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings. This is scripture. This is not uh, a commentary, right? And uh, it does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. He is El Shaddai. The God Almighty that would speak to the founding father of faith, Abram, Abraham, about what? The coming of Jesus Christ. I'm going I'm to make you the father of multitudes because of one goal. Because we need a savior for the world. All of that drama. Ishmael. Hagar. Who was basically... Abram's illegitimate son, who he had with the maid, Hagar. All of that drama, all of that hurt, all of that pain, generations of birth for one king. We almost missed that, right? Because it's not offsprings, but offspring. God is going to use whatever he needs to use to get to his goal. He changed Abraham 
Abraham and his wife's life. And in the midst of changing Abraham's name, guess what he also did? Pastor Scott, what did he do? He changes Sarai's name to Sarah because she, ladies, was also important. She would be the mother that would start the generations who would ultimately come to Christ. Christ would come also from her. God's plan is much greater than our disbelief. All of this for the sake of our Christian faith today. And let me remind you, because some of you may, may, may struggle with Scripture. These are not recommendations. These are not bedtime stories that we make up for our children to go to sleep. This is truth. And the same God that spoke to Abraham is the same God who spoke to Paul and is the same God who speaks to you today. You may be struggling with this belief. You may be new in the faith. You may think that this is the game. Can I be a pastor for a moment? It's necessary. I appreciate you saying yes. This is bigger than you. When you say yes, let your yes be a yes. For those who he has preserved and called to himself, let your yes be a yes. Something I think that we miss is reverence. He is God Almighty. He is El Shaddai. So when we approach the Father, the Almighty, the El Shaddai, we should do so with ultimate reverence. He is God. I say this to you because sometimes even our commitment fails. And I'm not even talking about the church and the family and the system. I'm talking about in our faith. And I know I'm sounding a little stern right now. Some of you are first timers. I love you. I mean, I, I, I'm, the point is, like, there's a point that I'm trying to make. The point is that in us saying yes to Christ, that us saying yes to God is to acknowledge that he is what? Almighty even over our lives. So the decisions you make from day to day, even if they're outside of the church building, affect your relationship. In the same way that in these chapters, he calls Abraham to walk before him and be blameless, he says so to you today as well. There is no space in your life where you go where God is not with you. So the way you behave, the way you act, the things you think, the things you say, God is also in that space. In all that we do, are we honoring God? Let your yes be your yes. Are you going to get it right 100%? Nope. But he already got it right. Christ Jesus. Some people think that after you say yes to Jesus, there's nothing else to do. False. Walk before me. And be. It's an invitation to be active. Not to sit back, right? We said that, that those are the apostates who would rewrite or, or re-think re what was being said in scriptures. No. Walk before me and be blameless. It's an active invitation. Can we close our eyes? Mm -hmm.